Are you ready to buy or sell your home? The Jim Allen Group is a nationally recognized and award-winning real estate team in the Triangle, dedicated to providing exceptional service to meet your needs. With the latest insights and expert market knowledge, they'll make your home buying and selling journey as smooth as possible. Don't wait. Head over to JimAllen.com and start your next move today. That's JimAllen.com. The Jim Allen Group, your partner in real estate. Now it pops out to Ajo to Pesci and oh, a huge save by Shesterkin as Pesci was staring at an empty net and Shesterkin gets over to make the save. Now Lafreniere picks it away from Stahl. He's all alone on Ranta. Ranta with the save. Auntie Ranta shuts down Alexi Lafreniere. Cross ice for Panarin. He had some real estate. Now he leaves it for Fox. There's a bandage at and Ranta might have gotten a skate blade to it. It goes off the glass. Not out. Still in play. Strom gets to it. Oh, the Rangers are moving the puck at will right now on a tired penalty-killing unit. Now into the slot, Cooper in Ronta with the save on Kreider. Then he'll push one just wide to the right of the Canes netminder. Stays in the Canes zone. Big hit along the boards. He's got the Ranger fans up, and we'll get a whistle, and we've got a tussle. Jacob Truba and Stephen Lawrence, and they've dropped the gloves. Petrano watched by Stahl. He's able to get it to Fox at the right point. He'll go cross-ice for Kopp. Kopp, seam pass, put on, he'll score. On the back door, Frank Vetrano takes a seam pass from Andrew Kopp. And on the power play, the Rangers take a 1-0 lead. Carter with a presence of mind to kick the puck into the corner. And doesn't he'll get it to Strom. Strom will go cross-ice to Lindgren. Lindgren shot, they'll score. Puck gets past Ajo. Now a skate race between Ajo and Kreider. And Kreider will beat Ajo to it. Ajo defends. Drag pass for Zabinijan. And Rato Mercy with the save. Robbing Zabanajad, short-handed try for the Rangers. Ajo comes up with the puck along the boards for Teravainen. He scores! Oh, what a play along the boards in the Canes! Dentius Durkin. Carolina now trailing 3-1. 13-27 left in the third. Turnover as Niederreiter gets to it. He'll get it to Faust. Cross ice. Shot by the Hurricanes. Can't get across. And now a breakaway opportunity. It's Panarin. Backhand save made by Ronta. Ten seconds left in this game. Carolina winds the puck back in the Rangers zone. Miller has it. Plays it away from Kokiniemi. Smith keeps it in. Domi on the ice. Reeves wants a piece of Domi. And now this is Gerard Gallant going after Domi at the end of the game for absolutely no reason when he got a 4-1 lead. And Domi poking the bear, putting his glove in the face of Reeves. The linesman in the middle of that. Clock hits zero. And Ian Cole, he's getting into it with Ke'Andre Miller. This is the Kane's Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold. Presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. The Kane's Corner Podcast is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Kane's Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. Did not go well. 4-1 Rangers 2-2 series all even as we head back to Raleigh for Game 5 on Thursday at PNC Arena in a building that might be as loud as it has ever been. And I believe the team is going to need that from uh, a lot of you people. Uh, so let's talk about a bunch of things. Uh, we are brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. 
Shouts to Sammy Hanna and his crew. Actually just saw Sammy today. Actually yesterday by the time you listen to this. Uh, and he says hi. He's a fan of the Canes Corner podcast. So shouts to Sammy. Uh, he has the best customer service team in the industry, in any industry probably. Uh, great people at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. They will take good care of your home. All you got to do is go online for free, no obligation estimate, whatever you need uh, to make your home more beautiful, more energy efficient. They can handle it. Aluminumcompany.com. All right, let's do a quick check-in with the head coach, and then we will get to some things. We will start with the start and also deal with the hit. It's a tough first period for us, for sure. Um, you know, we gave them the power play there, and that's that, that got them going right away. And, you know, we zipped it around pretty good there. And, and then obviously we gave up a, a power play goal, the second one. The first one was they were zipping it around, they had it in their zone the whole time. We failed, you know, we had it three or four times, should have got it out. You know, so it was just, you know, we, we kind of did it to ourselves a little bit in the first. And then, you know, we got kind of playing again, but it's, by then it's too late. You gave him, gave him two stuff to come back. Well, I don't know. What are you going to say? I mean, I, I honestly didn't look at it that closely. Um, I know our guy comes in after the hit. I think they're trying to. I think they're trying to do a job on that. If there's a good hit, you shouldn't come in and create some. I know he got cross-checked in the face pretty good when he came in, and that was, you know. But whatever. I mean, it's over. Well, I don't, I don't, I no, you don't want to take a penalty, you know, so I don't think he was going in there fight. He's never fought anybody before. So it's just, you know, sticking up for his teammates, which you like, you just can't take a penalty there. All right, let's talk about those two things. Let's talk about the start first, because I think the two things are related, the start and the hit. Clearly. Carolina goes into uh, goes to the penalty box pretty quickly, and the Rangers with the first power play. This is where I tell you that power plays do not have to score to be effective. Ultimately, you want production, but the Rangers had the puck in the zone basically for the entirety of the two minutes. They didn't score. They didn't score, but... You just knew that they were going to at some point, and they did on the second power play. And now we get to the second power play, and this is what Rod was talking about. Uh, and I actually I want to give Rod credit. We'll see if other people will shout from the mountaintop about what I believe to be the case. And I believe privately Rod probably also believes is the case. Jacob Truba deserved a penalty. Yes, maybe for cross-checking Stephen Lawrence in the face before they fought. But he deserved a penalty for the elbow to the head of Ty, of Max Domi. Sorry about that, Ty. Max Domi. Max Domi also deserved his fate today. We have to be honest about that. What Max Domi did at the end of Game 3 was completely unnecessary and put the big target on his back. So the first time Jacob Truba, and he is the guy to do it, not Ryan Reeves, Jacob Truba asks Sidney Crosby, 
the first time that Jacob Truba had a chance to deliver a message to, to Max Domi, he was going to do it, and he did it. And you can talk to me all day long about Domi was low, it wasn't a high hit. I've never said it was a high hit. It was a hit to the head. Truba actually had to go down to hit Max Domi in the head. But he did exactly what he was trying to do. Exactly what he was trying to do. The one caveat I will give to Jacob Truva for the hit on Sidney Crosby in Game 5 of that series that sent Crosby to the sidelines for that game and Game 6, he did come back in Game 7, is that Crosby's head definitely lowers dramatically from the time Truba starts the hit to the time Truba connects. And that's because Crosby's skate got, well, like went on top of Truba's stick and it completely brought his head lower by about a foot. That did not happen with Max Domi. Max Domi was skating in. Whether or not he was going down or not is immaterial. His head level did not change from the time Truba started the hit to the time Truba connected. Jacob Truba lined up Max Domi and delivered the blow. Unquestionable that that is what happened. I Look, I am saying this definitively, and I know for a fact that none of you believe that I am a Keynes homer. None of you believe that because I hear it from you. I know you want me to be, but I am not. That was a dirty hit. Should have been penal- should have been penalized. It was not. Absolutely egregious that Dave Jackson, oh, I got no problem with the hit. Yeah, there's some head contact, but it's, it's fine. No, no, that's it. That's a penalty. At the very least, it's two minutes for elbowing. All right, with that said, um, you went to the you went to the penalty kill and you didn't kill it off. You had a chance to clear the zone on that power play, didn't get it out, and then ultimately it's Fox to cop, cross ice to Vetrano, and maybe Ranta should have gotten to the post quicker. I don't know. Um, good shot, good goal, one nothing. Next, I don't know. wasn't wasn't too long later. When uh, the Rangers made it two nothing, um, and this was a goal. This was an Adam Fox deflection goal of a Ryan Lindgren shot. Uh, but to me, this was a very avoidable goal, simply because of this reason. And the goals were basically a little bit more than two minutes apart. The, the reason why it was an avoidable goal is that the puck was at Vincent Trocek's feet, right, like basically right at, maybe even below the faceoff circle to the left of Ranta. And he has to get the puck out of the zone. You just have to. And he couldn't. So the puck stays in. Kreider kicks it to the corner. Puck gets out to Lindgren. Shot goes through. Fox tips it over uh, the glove of Ranta, and it's 2 nothing. And I know how it felt to people. It felt like, oh, well, Carolina's never going to get two goals. 
except that they should have. They should have scored first in this game. Brett Pesci has to get that shot away quicker. If there is one thing that Carolina, well, there's a lot of things that Carolina leaves to be desired offensively uh, while scoring enough goals to win hockey games for the most part. They have to be better at taking these opportunities and finishing them. I don't believe it's out of the ordinary to say to Brett Pesci that you've got to get that shot away quicker. There's just no time to gather it. Shesterkin is too quick. He is going to get over. You have to get that puck away fast. Pesci had half the net. That has to be a goal. It was not. Would have been one nothing Carolina. Then in the second period, a period in, by the way, I believe Carolina was the better team, but they lost the period one nothing when they failed to cash in the two opportunities that they had. Tavo Teravainen, I forget even, I think it was Jarvis that made the pass, uh, pass across to Tavo Teravainen. That's got to be a punch. That's just got to be a, a quick whack at the puck, elevate it over the pad. You don't even have to, uh, you know, put it inside the post. I mean, you probably got two feet to work with. You just need to elevate it over the pad. Shesterkin couldn't get anything else to that except his pad. But Teravainen was content to just kind of sweep it in and a good defensive stick by Keandre Miller made that impossible. Teravina didn't get much on it. Yes, Shusterkin had to make a great save, but if you get that away quicker, it's a goal. And then the Martin Natchez special. Missing wide in an empty net situation. I don't... This is the second time in this series that Natchez has essentially whiffed on a, uh, you know, basically a, a, a two-foot putt. I mean, you can't. You have, these have to be converted. Carolina should have come out of the second period tied. Should have come out tied. But they didn't. Third goal is the third goal, three on two, ends up uh, with a Zabanajad goal. Um, good initial shot, Zabanajad. Um, the, the puck kind of leaks through Ranta, um, and Zabanajad was first to it behind the goalie. That's a problem, too. Brady, uh, Brady Shea, that's your guy. Zabanajad is on your side of the ice. You can't let him behind you. Brett Pesci was there, and he got, I think it looked like he might have gotten his stick like caught on Ranta's pad. Uh, a lot of self-inflicted wounds for the Hurricanes tonight. And not to take anything away from the Rangers, I thought the Rangers played well. I thought they absolutely played well. They were the better team. I don't want anybody to think that I don't believe New York was better. New York was the better team. But I do believe they weren't necessarily better because they owned Carolina. I think they were better because while they made some mistakes, they took advantage of Carolina's mistakes to the nth degree. And that ultimately is the difference in the game. So, three great scoring chances for Carolina. Pesci's got to be quicker. Turbo has to just get that shot off quicker and elevate the puck. And Natchez was hopelessly wide in an empty net. 
And Carolina could, like, look, if they score the first goal in the second, they might not get the nature's opportunity because I don't believe that these things uh, exist in a vacuum. One thing leads to the other. Sports life is a chain of events situation. Uh, But the Hurricanes had too many opportunities to score that they didn't do anything with. Those were, in my opinion, the best one. So... Uh, a couple of other quick things, and then we'll get to Andrew Schnitker from Kane's Country, who's going to join us and talk about this game. Power play continues to be Drek. Look it up, people. Uh, 5 for 45 now in the postseason. That's 11.1%. They are 9 for their last 89 games when you extend back, I think, 17 games left in the regular season. But the penalty kill might be more problematic right now The Hurricanes are killing penalties only at a 77.5% clip, a full 11% lower than it was during the regular season, or 10.5% lower than it was during the regular season. It's bad. Can't be, uh, that, that cannot happen going forward. If the Hurricane, if you're not going to score power play goals, and right now the Hurricanes are not, you can't give them up. That is bad. I've said this before. You don't have to win the special teams battle. You just can't lose it. And the Hurricanes have given up a couple of power play goals, actually three power play goals in the series. And they have scored none. They do have a shorthanded goal, so at this point, they're not getting owned in special teams, in spite of what you think. But they are losing it right now, and they're not going to win the series losing the special teams battle. The hope should always be break even. Carolina's got some work to do to get to that. Lineup changes. Here's what I would do if I were Rod Brindamore. I have no idea. I told you before Game 7 against Boston that my gut tells me that Stephen Lawrence is drawing back into the lineup. Well, my gut tells me that Jordan Martinook is drawing back into the lineup for Game 5. That's what my gut, and it's substantial, tells me we are going to see Jordan Martinook on the ice unless he is flat injured still. I don't believe that to be the case. I also think at least I would do, I would put Derek Stepan back in the lineup. And here's who I would pull off. Max Domi comes out. Sorry, Max. Um, The shenanigans at the end of Game 3 and uh, whatever it is you were doing in Game 4 doesn't work for me. Doesn't work for me. He's out out of the lineup. I think you could have made the argument to pull him out of the lineup after game three, except Rod Brindamore looked at game three and said, I like that game. I want that game again. So he thought he was going to get that game out of that team, and he did not. But I would pull Max Domi from the lineup. I would pull Jesperi Kotkaniemi from the lineup. And I would let Derek Stepan center Jordan Martinook and Stephen Lawrence and let that be my energy line, my fourth line to just throw their bodies around and wreak havoc. Here's the problem with that. The politics tells you that Kokaniemi can't come out of the lineup. Eight years, 
$4.8 million annual salary. He's not coming out of the lineup. Even if he should. I've said this before about Kokaniemi. And I forget exactly the game it was. We, If we looked it up, we might get it. I think it was the game at Vegas. Carolina was getting healthy. They had to make a decision who's coming out of the lineup. And we all agreed. Those people who were paying attention, the guy who deserved to come out of the lineup was Jesperi Kokaniemi. The guy who came out of the lineup was Derek Stepan. And it proved to be a smart move. Kokaniemi started at the, from that point on, and he was moved to center at that point. He was a pretty good player. But that was a long time ago. One goal in Kokaniemi's last 31 games. Think about that. Here's a guy you're paying $4.8 million to next year to be your second-line center. 31 games, one goal. And I am not here for your, well, he's playing on a fourth line. What do you expect? A, if you are good enough to get an eight-year contract worth nearly $40 million, then you're damn well good enough to score more than one goal in 31 games. So I would pull him from the lineup. But again, the politics tells you you can't. But imagine if they did. You're talking about in decisive games, being healthy scratched, not only here or not only in Montreal, which happened in the playoffs last year. I think he was down for games five, six, and seven. Oh, did it go? It didn't go seven, right? Um, whatever the games were, the last games, I think he was down for the last couple of games of the Stanley Cup Finals in Montreal's loss to Tampa. So I would pull, uh, I would pull Kokaniemi and Domi from the lineup. I would let Martinook and Lawrence flank step on on the fourth line. And that doesn't mean that all the other guys are playing great. You just can't bench all of the players who are not playing well. But I would also have a consideration to sit Martin Natchez, who has been just disappointing. I'm not going to say it's bad. It's just disappointing. One goal in his last 27 games for Martin Natchez, dating back to uh, the last 17 of the regular season. One in 27. But there are more numbers to digest. Andrei Svechnikov has gone pointless in eight of his last nine. He had two goals in the game against Boston in game six in Boston, where he scored the two uh, the two goals in the third period. But Andre's got to be, he's got to be on the score sheet. Eight of his last nine games, bupkis. Natchez won in his last 27. Kokaniemi won in his last 31. Vincent Trocek, poor play in the defensive end. That puck has to get out. Leads to the second goal. And now he has gone six games without a point. Tony D'Angelo hasn't played well since uh, really the Boston series. Where he hasn't been dynamic offensively. He had the uh, the egregious turnover on the first Rangers goal in this series, the only one they scored in Raleigh. But D'Angelo just hasn't done a good enough job right now in the power play. And that's why the power play is 
five for 45 in the postseason. Uh, so to me, those are the guys. Uh, Domi, Domi hasn't been good. Uh, look, I know everybody was ready to buy Max Domi a house, a mansion after his Game 7 heroics. As I will point out, he was not Carolina's best player in Game 7 against Boston. He was not. In fact, I know he scored twice and he assisted on another goal. I'm not even sure he was one of their best three in that game. The best player in that game was Jacob Slavin. Best skater in that game, anyway. The best player was probably Antti Ranta. Real quick to that. I know Freddie Anderson practiced with the team today. He worked out before practice. So maybe it's coming close. But my own prediction is that unless Ranta is injured, he doesn't come out of the lineup. He he is the goalie of record in this series. It will not be. It will not be, in my opinion, uh, Freddie Anderson. Uh, so there you go on a couple of uh, a couple of other thoughts. Um, big picture in this game to me, I don't think the Rangers dominated. I think the Rangers were gifted some opportunities. The power play goal, Carolina needs to get that puck out. They had an opportunity, didn't, boom, you pay for it. Um, the, uh, the Adam Fox goal, Trocek has a chance to get that puck out of the zone. Couldn't do it. You pay for it. Uh, and then at the end, the goal that makes it four, one in Seth Jarvis's pass just has to be good. I mean, it was terrible. It has to be on the tape. You, you, you can't, I mean, you're better off passing it into his skates. At least it could be you know, kind of gathered at that point. But the Ra- the Rangers took advantage of those opportunities. Carolina had some chances to score and didn't, and that's on them. It's not on anybody else. And I'm not trying to tell you that Igor Shesterkin didn't make a bunch of good saves. I think he made a bunch of good saves. But I think Carolina let him off the hook more than Shesterkin made a bunch of good saves. And with all that said, it's still a 2-2 series. It's all it is. A 2-2 two, two series. And what do they say? Series doesn't start till the home team loses. Well, home team hasn't lost. Hurricanes have now uh, played 11 straight games in which the home team won. Last time that was done, the Toronto Maple Leafs in 1962, who went on to win the Stanley Cup. Karma. All right, for the first time in a Canes Corner podcast role, I guess, Andrew Schnitker, Canes Country, Wilson Times, uh, formerly of the technician, somebody I've seen and uh, talked to at PNC Arena for a number of years. Welcome for, to your maiden voyage. I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, I do too, but it is, uh, it's good to be here. It's good to make my debut on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right, let's get to, uh, let's get to tonight. Uh, I'll just, I'll just leave it open a blank canvas for you, Andrew. Uh, and then we will kind of, uh, pick through the carcass of what was a 4-1 Rangers win. So, uh, overriding thoughts for you. Yeah, I think it was kind of similar to a lot of the threads that we've seen in these uh, these five road losses for the Hurricanes in that 
it started with some trouble on special teams and kind of unraveled from there. You know, you had the hit by Jacob Truba on Max Domi that ends up being just a power play for the Rangers because Steven Lorenz gets the instigator. Um, I did not agree with that. I thought Truba should have gotten a penalty from, for the hit, but the, the Rangers get a power play from that. They score and then they score again shortly thereafter. You, you could clearly see the Canes kind of got a little rattled, lost some composure from that, which, which you can't let happen to you in these games. And then it, it was really just kind of downhill from there. Uh, they were, they were too loose defensively. Auntie Ronta had to make some really big saves. And I mean, we're, we're talking about this after every loss, especially on the road, it seems, but the power play was once again abysmal. It, it had a chance, I think, when it was still 2 nothing that could have gotten them on the board. It had a chance early in the third period. Um, it, it just, I mean, it, it just cannot keep happening. They've got way too much talent for the power play to be this unable to get them a timely goal in the playoffs. Unable to generate really anything, mm-hmm. especially that first one. The Rangers have the best chance on that shorthanded yep. breakaway that Antti yep. Ranta stopped. So, I don't want to. I think classifying this one as just a special teams meltdown it would be oversimplifying it a little bit. But I think special teams once again played a heavy hand. Yeah, they lost the special teams battle because their power play was anemic. Um, and I actually think the Rangers' first power play, which did not score, was excellent. It just didn't score. If the Hurricanes didn't score on their two power plays and they looked like that then you go, all right, well, we just didn't score, but we did everything we wanted to do. We just didn't score. But the Hurricanes' power play tonight didn't look like that. I thought their power play was probably better than that in game three the other night, uh, Sunday afternoon, that didn't score. Uh, At least the first two I thought were very good. The last one wasn't. Uh, But, I mean, you could... Carolina just wasn't... Hasn't been good on the power play. Hasn't been successful on the power play. Good or not hasn't been successful on the power play now for the better part of two months. So, because uh, the numbers right now in the postseason, 5 for 45, that's 11.1%. And if you extend back the last 17 games of the regular season, uh, they are 9 for their last 89. So, that is essentially about the same. It's a bit little, it's, a, it's, it's basically 10%. That's where they are. That's the worst in the NHL. Nobody in the NHL had a worse power play than what the Hurricanes have put out there basically since the uh, the beginning of March. Uh, it's just been absolutely dreadful. Here's my read on the game. Yes, Carolina made tons of mistakes, and we can get to that, and I want to talk to you about the Drew hit too. But the, the, the reality is, is that this wasn't a Ranger-dominated game. They didn't dominate the puck. They didn't dominate zone time. They just took advantage of their of their opportunities. Because you go back to the the Brett Pesci chance in the first period before anything happened, before the Truba hit, before before anything. That has to be a goal. You've got you've you've got half the net wide open, and it I couldn't decide whether or not Pesci had to settle the puck or he was just too deliberate in his delivery, but that's just got to be a quicker release, and it gives you a chance. Now, the, the, the slightest hesitation just gives Shesterkin chance, a chance to get over, 
So when that does it, and he ends up making a great save, but the release was too slow. And uh, which, you know, I guess uh, as a young guy, you, you don't mind that. Uh, but uh, as a hockey player, probably you want it a little quicker. Uh, so that, and then, of course, the you get the two goals for the Rangers. Carolina had chances in the second period uh, with Teravainen and Natchez both having, really, plays that should end up in goals. Not could, but should end up in goals. And neither, and neither finds the net. Carolina takes advantage of the same opportunities the Rangers did. I think we're talking about a different thing. So it was kind of a weird game for me in that, I mean, I don't know that the Rangers were that much better. Yeah, it's it's kind of been a funny series in that regard in that, you know, all of the games have kind of been there for the taking for either side when you look at what happened in games one and two. Mm-hmm. Certainly what happened in game three, I think we can both agree the Hurricanes had a lot of opportunities to take over that game. And yeah, no, I agree. And the one you mentioned is Martin Natchez, um, the one that he missed. This has been going on. I mean, you could make an argument for all season, but especially in the latter part of the season in the playoffs. And I I just don't know what's going on with him. You know, the he's a guy who's got all the talent in the world. We all saw what he did last year. We all remember that game five against Nashville uh, when he pretty much saved the hurricane season with that game tying goal that he had. And, you know, this, again, just all the talent, just, I don't know what's up with him this year. He's been snake bitten. He's been, I don't know if it's the contract year, but something's not right there. And that's a guy I think both in this series and especially if they get through this series and get to the Tampa Bay lightning, that's somebody that the hurricanes are going to have to have more from. Yeah, or or not play. I mean, uh, but they don't have a lot of options. Yeah. Here's the other thing, uh, and uh, I've already discussed this a little bit. I do think that Rod Brindamore has some lineup decisions that have to be made, and I don't. I don't think I take Natchez out because he's such a good penalty killer. Although the penalty kill has not been great, really, uh, but. That to me is the advantage of keeping Natchez in the uh, in the lineup, and of course you have the high end skill, and you just never know when when it's absolutely going to click. Uh, but yeah. he missed a backdoor. Uh, I think it was in Game Three. He had a perfect opportunity uh, to to fire one in the net, and missed it uh, short side wide of the net. And then this one, of course, he goes back the other way, uh, you know, almost back to where it came from, where the pass came from. He's just missing too many opportunities when he's not giving the puck away. So it's sort of a disaster on many fronts for Martin Natchez. And I agree, it could be the contract. It could be the fact that he's still just a perimeter player. He doesn't get to the middle of the ice all that well. It's not where he's comfortable. He's, I remember after he scored the goal against the Seattle Crack and he talked about how they keep telling him to get to the middle of the ice and get a dirty goal. And that actually was sort of a dirty goal in that game. But he hasn't. He has. I don't think he's been to the middle of the ice since then. In Carolina, even though they played well in Game Three, I didn't love them in the middle of the ice at all. All right, let's talk about the Truba hit. Uh, your thoughts on what you see? Go into as much detail as you care to, and then we'll kind of go through it. Yeah, I mean, I think some leeway happens there with Domi falling, but I, you know, and I. I mean, I said this on Twitter during the game. I don't. I don't care if it's a clean hit in the rule book, which I don't really think that this one was because Truba leaves his feet um, and kind of launches in. And if Domi is not already falling, 
with his head lower there, the result there could have been a lot worse, I think. But but bottom line, I mean, I just don't want to see guys getting hit in the head. I mean, everything we know about concussions, all of the issues that can result from that, I, I just don't want to see that. But I think anytime you leave your feet like that and the head ends up being a point of contact, which again, if Domi's not already falling, I think that's a lot worse. There, there's got to be a penalty called there for me, and I, I don't really understand why there wasn't. When, when I first saw the hit, it was clear what Truba was doing. I mean, he was going for Domi. And I want to backtrack for a second. I'm not sure that it's not justified to go after Max Domi. Based on the shenanigans at the end of Game 3, which were completely unnecessary. I talked oh, I, to, Yeah, I, I agree. I talked about it on the radio show today, uh, Tuesday, for the people listening on Wednesday. Uh, and I mentioned it on Twitter. Completely unnecessary to go after Ryan Lindgren at the end of Game 3. Uh, utterly yeah. unnecessary. So you made your own bed. You became a target. With that said, while Domi was going down, his head was at the same level for a long enough period of time that when Truba, when Truba started to line up the hit, the head was in the same spot as when he made contact. So the, the argument that is made that, well, you know, it's different because he's going down. Nope, it's not. The, the, the point of contact was the head. It was clearly lined up. It was with an elbow. I don't understand how that's not a penalty. And frankly, you can make an argument for a major penalty if you wanted, uh, but it's got to be a minor. Other than that, it was adjudicated properly because Stephen Lawrence, I, I understand sticking up for your teammate, uh, but the only thing I agreed with from the ESPN studio was when Ryan Callahan said, you got to wait for the whistle, you got to ask to go, and then you got to go so you don't get the instigator because that put Carolina... Uh, very quickly after killing the last penalty, sort of, because they didn't kill it, the Rangers just ran out of time, then you're back shorthanded again, and you knew it was a matter of time. Uh, but I thought it was a dirty hit. I wouldn't be surprised if we... Actually, I will be surprised because the league has determined uh, that anything that Jacob Truba does is okay. I still don't understand yeah. how he didn't get a letter uh, and uh, an envelope to send us $5,000 after the elbow to, to Sidney Crosby's head. Yeah, if he's not getting disciplined for a headshot on Sidney Crosby, I kind of doubt he's going to hear from them about Max Domi. I just, I just didn't understand it. So I thought it was a dirty play. I thought Truba was, uh, was purposeful in his action, um, and but that's the way it is, and you, you can't do anything about it. Uh, on that power play, I don't remember who it was, but the Hurricanes had a chance to clear the zone, pretty uh, like maybe ten seconds before. Fox found cop who found Vetrano cross ice. They had a chance to clear the puck and they didn't. And I think you can trace mistakes to three of the four Ranger goals. Yeah. I mean, I think that just goes to what we were talking about with missed opportunities. And I mean, I mean, I think you're right. Um, you know, the third one's a mistake on Ranta, but you kind of have to forgive him for that after, Right. Or basically call it a wash after the save that he had just made 
on your own power play that the Rangers got that glorious opportunity. And yeah, it's, it's like you said, I mean, it's, it's not like the Rangers were, no, I, I'm not saying the Rangers were bad tonight, but it's not like they were dominant. And I think the Hurricanes did a lot of shooting themselves in the foot in this game. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, the Rangers just didn't, it wasn't like they owned, like they sat on Carolina all game long. It wasn't like, like I think the 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 only one sided game in this series so far was game two. Carolina was suffocating defensively. It was a low event yeah. game. Neither team had a lot of chances, uh, but the Rangers had no room to move. Um, game one was an even game. I agree. I thought the Rangers played really well. Probably should have won, but didn't. Carolina was great in the third period. I thought game uh, game three for the most part pretty even game. I thought Carol, I, you know, if you want to argue that Carolina was better because they had more shots and chances and things like that, uh, I would question the quality of some of the chances. I mean, you can always manufacture uh, these. We, we remember the old, uh, you know, Corsi days uh, where the Hurricanes just routinely won the Corsi, but they weren't that yeah. dangerous. I don't think Carolina has been good in the middle of the ice in either game in New York, so you're it's harder to get more out of your chances. But this one, I just felt like this was uh, a game where I think the Rangers were better and they were harder on pucks and they were harder in the interior, but I don't, they didn't dominate the game. They just dominated their opportunities. And um, I don't know. The Hurricanes have to figure out a way to start cashing in. Um, Would you, if, if Freddie Anderson is ready to go, would you start him in game five? That's a really tough one because it that that's kind of one of those moves that could work out awesome in terms of he comes back and is really good and gives you a great performance, sparks the team, and you win. Or it could turn out horrible in terms of he's come back, he comes back, from being off for it since, what, over a month now, right? Since that Colorado game in mid-April. April 16th, um, yes. April 16th, so over a month. is rusty, doesn't have a great performance. You end up losing, and then going into game six, you've got Anderson, who may still be rusty and would have been coming off a bad performance, and Auntie Ranta, who you may have undermined his confidence by I mean, let's face like he didn't do any. I mean, sure, that third goal was a mistake by him, but again, he he made some great saves. He didn't do anything wrong tonight. A guy who you would have gone away from when you know he did nothing to deserve losing the starting net. So, I would, given how long that Anderson's been out, and it it will only have been a few practices for him going into Game Five, and neither of these two games were the fault of Auntie Ranta. I think I would stick with Ronta. I can see the argument for going with Anderson, but I wouldn't do it. To me, the only argument to going with Anderson is if Ronta's not healthy. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I, don't, I don't mean to uh, sound like I was maybe setting you up, but I was just curious uh, how, how yeah. you would do it. Auntie Ronta has the net until this series is over. Uh, I think the only way that Freddie Anderson plays is if you decide to pull Ronta. Like if he gets off to a bad start in uh, on Thursday in Game Five, uh, and Freddie is your number two, and he wasn't even the number two tonight. It was Piotr, uh, Piotr Kachetkov. Um, 
that's the only way that Freddie Anderson gets back in goal. It really is for me. Uh, Ronta's been great. I have zero problem with the way he played tonight. Yeah, we can argue on the third goal that just leaked behind him. Uh, but I would also say that either Brady Shea or Brett Pesci's stick has to be better there. Uh, also, why was that a three on two? I could throw that out there. You know, why, why, when it's two nothing already, you can't get beat to your, to the, you know, to your goalie. And they were the, the, the drop pass by Zibanejad that created that scoring opportunity. Uh, Brady Shea's got to be there. It was his guy on his side of the ice. Pesci was there, just couldn't get his stick there quick enough. But Shea's got to be there to uh, to, to ward off Zibanejad. Uh, and he wasn't there. So uh, that was sort of indicative of all of that. What do you make of Andrei Svechnikov, Martin Natchez, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, Vincent Trocek, Tony D'Angelo, who has not been good on the road. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, Sebastian Ayo at his first road point. Uh, I think more often than not, he's been okay. Um, but just one point, one assist now in five road games. What do you make of some of the empty spots, especially from the top guys? Well, Adam, I don't think I noticed any of the guys that you mentioned in this game tonight other than the Natchez miss. And given what all of those guys are expected to do, including Tony D'Angelo, who's a defenseman, but let's be clear, I mean, his role is as an offensive defenseman, creating offense, producing points. I mean, this sounds simple, but they, they just all have to be better. I mean, they have to be, you know, Svechnikov's got to be more assertive. You know, go out there, take your shots, play your power game that's so good when you're on and you're dominant. Because a guy like Svechnikov is a guy, when he makes the plays and he's on and he does the things he can do, that can take over a game and really spark his team. And that's what you have to have in these playoffs, especially in these road environments. And I, I feel like that just isn't something that we've seen from him so far. You know, we've talked about Martin Natchez and what he did uh, in that game against Nashville last year. Haven't seen anything of this sort from him in these playoffs. D'Angelo was one of the Hurricanes, I think their best players, in this, especially at home in this series against the Bruins. But yeah, uh, we haven't seen a ton from him in this series, especially on the road, and especially um, you know with him being the primary quarterback of power play one. I mean, I I think he deserves some share of you know the questions about yeah. why that the power play has been so poor. Mm-hmm. Kokaniemi is one, you know. He had that two-goal game in his when he came back from that long absence in the last regular season game. But uh, other than maybe a, a few stretches in game three, he's been fairly invisible, which is not, you know, going be, even beyond these playoffs, is not super encouraging even playing fourth-line minutes because we saw some a lot of good things from him in fourth-line minutes in the regular season from somebody that a lot of people, I think, the Hurricanes might be looking at in a middle six center role for next year if Vincent Trocek is gone. Not not very encouraging to see the lack of really anything we've seen from him in these playoffs. All right, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Uh, and just to just follow up on your last thing about next year for Kokaniemi, I think they, they anticipate him being their second center, and that's terrifying to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I was on the record as saying that I would have included him in some sort of a trade. I would not have signed him, 
but I think they had made their decision on whether or not they were going to sign him when they signed him to the offer sheet. They they did not move off of that position all year long because I believe that when he he scored his uh, career, the, the goal that tied his career high, this is well, you know, weeks before the injury he suffered against the game in the game against Washington, uh, a completely needless hit by Lars Eller. Um, he had already gone through about a twelve or so game. Um, actually, it was longer than that uh, streak, like an eight seventeen game streak where he didn't have, didn't have a goal. Um, I I've been wholly unimpressed by Jesperi Kotkaniemi. With that said, he's 22, and they believe that he will be a good player. Okay, um, they've been right on a lot of things, so I can't say that they're going to be wrong here, but uh, I have been less than... I've been whelmed at best, <laughs> at best, by Jesperi Kotkaniemi. But here are the numbers. Svechnikov has been pointless in eight of his last nine games. That was not... Uh, I was that was not Freudian calling him pointless, but uh, eight eight of his last nine games, no points. Uh, Natchez dating back to the regular season, one goal in his last twenty seven games. Kotkaniemi dating back to the regular season, one goal in his last thirty one games. Uh, Vincent Trocek has gone six straight playoff games without a point. I mean, other than his game seven heroics, which was an out of body experience. I think Max Domi needs to come out of the lineup. I would pull Max Domi out of the lineup next uh, on Thursday. I wouldn't. I I would. I throw Martinuk and Derek Stepan both on the ice, and I take Domi off and somebody else. And I don't know if I'd take Stephen Lawrence off the ice. I might go strict fourth line grinder and pull somebody else off. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent. I'm not as strong on Martinuk, but definitely um, Derek Stepan is a player that I want to see in this series. He number one, he's a former Ranger. You've got you've got some motivation <laughs> there. Number two, I think which you know how many times have we heard the phrase former Ranger in this series? But I think that he's a guy when you look at in the regular season when he you know he's a, a good veteran guy in that he could sit out for a while and then just you know. It, didn't really bother him. He'd come back in, play his game, provide an offensive spark in the bottom six. And I think the Hurricanes need that spark, need really anything that they can get throughout their lineup to create more offense in this series. Because even in the games they won in Raleigh, I mean, offense has been hard to come by. They've scored five non-empty net goals in four games in this series. Now, obviously, you're not asking Derek Stepan to be your offensive savior. There are, you know, a bunch of other guys we just talked about that have that responsibility, but any, any spark you can get helps. And I agree with you that I think, you know, you, you can't let Max Domi just bank his game seven performance to stay in the lineup. It, it doesn't work that way. This is the playoffs. And he hasn't really done much in this series since then. And he's kind of been front, well, especially in game three. I mean, he started it, and like you said, and I agree that his actions at the end of game three were really unacceptable, just unnecessary. He's kind of been front and center of all this post-buzzer nonsense at the end of both of these games. So, no, I, I think Stepan 
for Domi is definitely a swap that I would make going into game five. You wouldn't put Martinook back on the ice? Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just not sure that I, like we talked about, if, if you put him in, and I agree that I don't necessarily take Steven Lorenz out, who are you taking out? Like, for the reasons we discussed, like the penalty kill and with Martin Natchez, like, it's hard to be banking on potential, but two, like, you know that at any given moment he can make that wow play or that score that big goal that can swing a game for you. And it, it's hard for me to take – like, I, I don't think what you get with Martin Uck justifies taking that potential ability out of the lineup for me, if that makes sense. All right, the guy I would take out of the lineup is Kokaniemi, and I would go with a Stepan, Martin Uck, and Lawrence – um, fourth line. That's what I would put on the okay. ice. I didn't think about Kokaniemi, actually. That, that's a good point. I, I could see an argument for that. And then you, because you, Martinuk, I mean, I will say, you know, we've seen Martinuk can give, can give you that spark both on the ice and vocally on the bench. And maybe that's something else this team needs. So, yeah, that could be something to think about. But that's just me, and I'm not the head coach, and I don't have to deal with an owner uh, who just awarded him a four-year or an eight-year $4.8 million annual contract. So uh, that's going to be uh, the, the politics of taking Kokaniemi off the ice is crazy, which means it could end up being Natchez if Rod Brindamore wants. And it could be Lawrence, too, I mean, to be perfectly honest. I mean, uh, I love Stephen Lawrence, but, I mean, he's not necessarily uh, a difference maker. At this point, so uh, it could it could be Lawrence and Domi coming out with Stepan and Martinuk drawing in. If if Jordan Martinuk is healthy, and I assume he is healthy at this point, I don't see a way he's not in the lineup for Game Five. I mean, he wears an A for a reason. Yeah. So and he's a guy that Rod Brindamore loves. Yep. Yep. And he's also he's energy. He is instant energy. Yeah. And. I think that we are going to see Game 5 in Raleigh similar to what we saw in Game 6 against Washington in 2019. I think the place is just going to be an absolute, it's going to be uh, combustible. Whether that leads to a win or not, I don't know. All right, so it's 2-2 as I wrap up here with Andrew Schnitker. You can follow him on Twitter at aschnitt. 53. Are you just a big Jeff Skinner fan? Is that why the 53 is? When I made, yeah. No, when I, I was a freshman in high school when I made that. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was a, uh, a Jeff Skinner nod at the time. All I right. just haven't changed it. It's fine. You don't have to. I mean, we we, we all loved Jeff Skinner at one point. I, I, I thought Skinner was going to be awesome. And then he, he, paid, he paid his dues on a lot of uh, pretty poor teams yeah he did he did and he should have gone to the minor leagues the next year when they were having the work stoppage but uh, that's another thing altogether uh he felt like he didn't need to he should have gone and played anyway um how do you feel about things 2-2 in the series it's i think you feel pretty good even after two lackluster performances in games three and four, because again, it's kind of similar to the ones in Boston that you had your opportunities to at least make the games closer and maybe have an opportunity to win them 
The Hurricanes are 6-0 on home ice in these playoffs. I think it's a little bit different from the Boston series in that the Hurricanes were not nearly as dominant in games one and two of this series as they were in that series, but I still think you feel pretty good. I think, I mean, I think I called this after the game um, tonight. I think this is potentially, given what it means in this series, in this playoff run for this hurricane season, what another second round loss would mean. I think you could potentially call this game five, the biggest game of the Rod Brendamore era so far. And I think that the leaders, the star players on this team, the Ajos, the Teravinen, hopefully Svechnikov, the leaders, guys like Jordan Stahl, Jacob Slavin, are going to come out fired up and ready to go, like we've seen them on home ice in these playoffs. And I do think the Hurricanes are going to get it done in Game 5. And then from there, you'd have to be in a similar situation to what you were in with Boston, where you would potentially have two chances to close it out. Uh, I actually think you might be right about that. It's... um, I, I hadn't really big pictured it, but I kind of I mean it, it is very possible that it is the biggest game in the Rod Brindamore era. Certainly the biggest playoff game in the Rod Brindamore era. Um, they, they need to win. I think they will win. And I said this during the Boston series. I'll say it again. Of course, I was wrong in the Boston series. I think the winner of game five will win game six. I'm with you on that. I, I think so, too. I think um, we'll go back to the Nashville series, the home team that we keep talking about. The home team won, I think, the first five games in that, yes. and then the Hurricanes ended up winning game six. So I think we could see something similar here if the Hurricanes are able to prevail in game five. All right, Andrew Schnitger, Canes Country staff writer, and uh, Wilson Times, you're the man, uh, at aschnitt53, because he's a big Jeff Skinner fan. Uh, we'll do it again. Well done for your first time. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun, and I appreciate you having me. Not bad for your first time to last more than 30 minutes, too. Well well done by you. There we go. <laughs> well, any editor I've ever had can tell you I'm good at making stories longer. So uh, I guess that fits. Outstanding, Andrew. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, let's just chew that for a second. Biggest game in the Rod Brindamore era. Nothing was big, really, in Washington, the Washington series. The Islander series happened so fast. Boom. Boston, okay. The next year, bubble hockey. Rangers, sweep. Boston, okay. The next year, weird year. Division only. Weird division. Nashville, okay, got through that. Weren't the better, uh, were the much better team, struggled. Then got tampered. Yeah, might be. Might be. I have said this, though, about the Eastern Conference playoffs. That really no loss would surprise me. The only thing that would have surprised me was Washington beating Florida. And think about that series. Washington could have won the series. They should have gone up 3-1. Not saying they would have won the series, but they could have won that series. Had they, especially had they gone up 3-1, obviously you're that closer. Um, but Florida didn't play well, still won the series in six games. So ultimately, I feel kind of, yeah, I was right about that. After that, there, isn't a, there wasn't a single series I thought, oh yeah, that team's going to win. I thought Carolina would beat Boston. 
I didn't think it would be quick, even though the first two games it looked like it might be. So I, like everybody else, uh, figured that that would continue. I could argue this. Until the shorthanded goal, which admittedly happened in the first period, Carolina was the better team. Up one nothing, pushing for more. Shorthanded goal flipped that game. Maybe flipped the series. But until Boston rallied in game two, remember Carolina had the lead in the second period. I thought Carolina was better than Boston until the uh, until the, the Bruins uh, took over the game late. And then the power play goal, that the whole sequence at the end of the second period. The um, the power play goal, the, the challenge, uh, the extra penalty, then the Aho double minor for high sticking. That just it's just snowballed on Carolina. But they were better than Boston in that game. So and I don't know my opinion, they weren't better than the Rangers in game three but they were good enough to win. And to me in this game, I mean, it was really just, you know, uh, uh, the Rangers took advantage of the opportunities Carolina presented them. That's it. I don't think the Rangers dominated this game by any stretch of the imagination. That's not saying Carolina was good or as good or deserved to win. None of that is true. The Rangers were the better team, but I think they were the better team here by default more than anything else. But it's going to look one way, and I know how uh, it's processed on television. I know how it's processed through the national media. And that's okay. doesn't matter. Nothing matters. We'll see how they come out on Thursday at PNC Arena. Thanks to uh, Andrew Schnitker from the Wilson Times and Kane's Country for stopping by. I am Adam Gold. We are brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. No place like it. Sammy Hanna and his crew are waiting for you. Give them a call. Just find them online. Aluminumcompany.com. You get a free no obligation estimate there. They are... Phenomenal. I actually saw Sammy and uh, some of his staff today. Even met Sammy's son, Tyler. Shouts to you, Tyler. Um, so give him a, ch- give him a shout. Uh, follow the Cades Corner Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just let us know what you think. You can give us a rating if you want. I don't turn that down. I assume if you like it, you give us a good rating. If you don't like it, you won't care. Maybe you give us a bad rating. I don't know. Uh, but uh, just follow it. Then it shows up in your phone or wherever you get your podcast. Do you have a podcast machine? I don't know. Anyway, Game 5, Thursday, PNC Arena. Big one. See you there. This has been the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You can listen to this podcast at WRALsportsband.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.